0: You're listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Maz, Neil, and Pete, where we look back at our favourite football sides from the Premier League era. From champagne football to shambolic debacles, each week we'll take a nostalgic view of some of the most memorable squads from the annals of our footballing fandom. It'll be light hearted, fairly shaky on the facts, but who cares? Relive your youth and go with Four at the Back. <laughs>
1: Welcome back. We're uh, near the end of the season now. Our manager has lost the mind games and we're just easing our way into the summer. We're trying to get one last good performance to keep the season ticket renewal price high. So to do that, we're going to have a look at one of the great Arsenal sides of the 1990s. Uh, we've got several uh, great perspectives on this because I think we all remember this team really well. I mean, I was quite a fan, especially when it became clear that my, my own team were not going to win. Our uh, Spurs fan is probably going to be a little bit kinder to them than you might expect. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Maz, who's going to say more today than in every other episode combined, I think. So, yeah, I Maz, think what do you say? <laughs> so so why don't you start us off then t- with um you know because you've had george graham in charge for years a couple of years before this then he leaves and you've got this short bruce reox spell, and then you've got arson Wenger comes in and most people in english football don't have a clue who he is when he comes in so what so talk us through just some of that build-up years of uh of all that transition
2: yeah i mean it's a very interesting time. Talk- I'm them as well, which is why why I love it at that time. the The Rioj season was actually my first season as a season ticket holder at Highbury. Um, so, <laughs> interesting times for sure. You know, not a terrible time for the team, but you know we we'd won the league in '89, we'd won the league in '91, and you know under. Ha- it, that ninety-one team was really, really exciting. It was a really good team, really skillful attacking. But after that is when we turned into this one-nil to the Arsenal team. You know, lots of really strong cup runs, and you know that that's where George Graham got this reputation for for being extremely defensive. Where you know it wasn't really the case before. You know, he could he could marshal a good defensive side, but you know. It wasn't that we played particularly defensive, and you know, with Ian Wright as our main striker, you know, we didn't we didn't have a huge amount of flair in the team at that point. It was pretty much all coming from Merson and then Wrighty running in behind, and you know, uh, everyone was a bit upset when when the whole babung Scandal came out and obviously Graham left, but we were stagnant as a team. So it, it was a good time for change. RIOC was an interesting one, you know, probably now you look back at it and you can liken it to Emery in, that, you know, it looked like a decent move at the time. Everyone thought, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get um, Alan Stubbs and Jason McAteer in at least, which never happened, although it was rumoured you know, every five minutes at the time. It was a good enough season. We pipped Spurs to to Europe. You know, I think ultimately the problem with Rioc was he couldn't get on with Wrighty, and Wrighty was the big star at that that time. So you know, one had to go, and it wasn't going to be Wrighty at that time. Then Vinga, you know, it, it was a strange one. Nobody was quite sure what to make of it. It it, it seemed very odd, and you did see, you know you did see these strange foreign manager sign-ins in the Premier League at the time, you know, every now and then. And a lot of the time, they really didn't pay dividends. So, you know, everyone was cautious. Um, but again, I think, you know, much like the Alan Stubbs thing, everyone thought we'd get George Weir because, you know, George Weir loved uh, Arsene Wenger. So everyone was excited for that possibility. But, you know, in the end, it w- was... Uh, We didn't need George Weir because he really had his finger on the pulse of certainly French football and everywhere else. So, you know, he came in, quietly made some signings at the time. We, you know, the Rio Kira had seen us sign Dennis Burkamp, who was turning into an absolute star after that first season for us. um, You know, we had David Platt as well, back from back from Italy, who, was a strange one you know he he was never a great consistent player for us but he did a lot of important things in those few seasons he was there and he served a, a, a very good purpose in the end and you know got himself uh, some nice uh, medals as well which were which would be nice for a, for a guy with a career like he had uh, but yeah I mean then Wenger came in that first season you know he came in not at the start of the season, a little bit later, around October in the uh, 96 97 season. And, you know, you, you could see him starting to bring his players in. The big player that he brought in was oh, not necessarily, not really a big name, but bringing in Patrick Vieira uh, as a young kid from Milan, it was reserves who'd hardly ever played for them. And the big news there was on his debut we suddenly realised we'd got the player we'd been lacking because we'd lacked that number four for so long. We had a lot of very bang average central midfielders and you could tell Vieira was special that very first game that he came on. I still remember it like like it was yesterday. It was uh, against Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, he came on, right, he scored a hat-trick in that game, but Vieira just absolutely bossed that midfield from the get-go and it was like, wow. And you know that that built up, and then obviously going into ninety seven, ninety eight, you know he he's made some some signings again, guys that would go on to be, you know, fantastic despite relatively short runs for the club. But you know, particularly Overmars, who you know came with a lot of hype, was you know Burkamp's Dutch friend, extremely pacey, and we'd seen him tear people apart. And some journeyman left back who, with a ponytail, who, you know, we'd stolen from under Spurs, you know, he played for Wenger at Monaco, Uh, he was at Spurs, about to sign for them, he's in London, rings up his old boss Arsene Wenger and says, yeah, I'm I'm just at Spurs, do you want to go and meet meet up for dinner or something? Wenger's like, well, why why are you signing for Spurs? and uh, basically Spurs called him a cab to take him wherever he wanted to go. He took it to go and meet Wenger and <laughs> signed for Arsenal. I'm talking Emmanuel Petit here, who would go from nobody quite knowing what his position was in football to one of the most dominant central midfielders in the game for a, for a few seasons. The pre-Willian.
3: The pre-Willian-Willian. Yeah. So it's, it's actually a, a recurring pattern um, of, uh, of of Spurs' uh Attempting to sign people and then shipping them off to other other London clubs to sign.
2: Yeah, yeah they need to get, uh, get them to sign an NBA, I think. Hey, Bergkamp
3: was a Spurs fan as well as a kid. That's the one yeah, that always yeah. got me like, come on, come on, you grew up supporting Spurs, you can't sign for Arsenal.
2: No, <laughs> it, it, it's weird now, even, even this far on, you look at him and he, he just looks like Spurs. If you hadn't seen him for all those years in an Arsenal kit, you're like, yeah, you look like, you look like you should be on the other side. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> even when it comes to Arsenal's style of play, you're like, that. No, you're, you're a bit more Spurs than Arsenal, to be fair. But, you know, what 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 a player. And, you know, what a season he had this season.
1: Especially in that first half of the season, to uh, those, those first couple of months. I mean, he always set a very high standard throughout his career. But this two, three-month stretch at the start of this 97-98 season, he might have been on another plane again.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was it was goal of the season after goal of the season, wasn't it? You know, multiple in games at some point. Was was this one of the months where he he, he placed first, second and third in goal of the month? Would, would, would that have been the... Having seen
0: the, some of the goals, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I, I think it I think it was the month where
3: he
2: scored the hat-trick at
0: Leicester.
3: The Leicester hat-trick. With, yeah. with and then he basically scored the same goal at the World Cup. On the other side, yeah. A <laughs> few was... that... you know, outrageous that you score that goal once, never mind twice. Yeah. Oh,
1: it's one of the most ludicrous hat tricks I think I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Only insane. only, Letiz- only probably is 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 close when it comes to scoring ridiculous uh, ridiculous hat tricks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, it, it, it
2: was he was basically the Lattissier this season, wasn't he? Where... As Latissa, so many of those seasons where every month it was him on goal of the month. Uh, this was pretty much Burke this year, you know. Time and time again, he did that. You know, edge of the box, cut inside,
3: curl it into the top corner. Just time and time again, there was just no stopping it. It's funny, isn't it? English football in the you know sort of mid <laughs> mid to late nineties, you suddenly get this this rash of uh, imported number tens that that just completely dominate English football for that entire period of time. And, you know, we obviously, the, the first the first week uh, of the show, we we, we looked at Kansnar at, at United. Um, you know, uh, Zola had just sort of left Chelsea at the point where, you know, the Mourinho team we were talking about, um, but, you know, Zola's influence in making Chelsea a glamorous club was incredibly important. And he had, you know, all of these years of Dennis Bergkamp at Arsenal and you know, he was obviously instrumental in, well, instrumental in in all three of those title winning seasons, even if I guess by the Invincibles period, he was maybe a little bit less influential, but still a, still a wonderful player. And, and, and just, you know, how lucky we were to to have players like that in our league. And, you know, it's, it's one of those strange things about the game that, um, you know, over the past 18 months or so, uh, the number 10 has got sort of a little bit unfashionable and teams aren't really playing with a a pure 10 now and I guess these things are always cyclical but you know there's no greater sight in football to me than um you know than one of those sort of yeah number 10s or shadow strikers like you know scoring and assisting for fun week after week you know seeing things that other people don't see dropping into half spaces it's it's always been my favourite thing about football.
2: I think a lot of why I'm, I am go off football so quickly these days and I, and I check out is because I was so spoiled at the time. You know, this, like I say, my, my first season was Burcamps' first season. My first season as a season ticket holder was Burcamps' first season. So, you know, my, my, my entire run as an Arsenal season ticket holder was the Burkamp run, you know. So to see that guy play week in, week out, week in, week out, you know, it's Olivier Giroud don't don't quite do the same thing for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and when he did kind of go off the boil a little bit, which, I mean, it's still better than most team strikers. Um, that's really when Overmars kind of caught fire. So you always had one of the two Dutch masters firing at, at some point this season.
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely. and. With, with the solid base, you know, I mean, this Arsenal team, you've got to look at it. It, it. It's such a hiring. And this is why I would take this 98 team over 2002, over the Invincibles, because it's such a hybrid. It, it, it's very early in in, in the Wenger, Wenger era. So Wenger's come in and he's inherited this legendary defence. Not, not quite as legendary as the Milan defence that we talked about. A while back but you know it's up there you know it's challenging for second for sure and you know they've been around for so long pretty much a decade together you know we've got Seaman in goal who's rock solid unless someone's got the ball on the halfway line and you know (laughs) what he's brought in uh, on top of that, English back four, you know, and he's re- rejuvenated that back four. There, there, there's no, no two ways about it. You know what he did for for Adams and what Adams was able to give back, in, in particular in '98 and 2002, was just just amazing. Uh, and now suddenly, you know, Adams should have been done by it by this stage. With when you consider everything that he was putting himself through, and you know, Wenger's prolonged that, that career another four or five years. I think, uh,
0: this, I think this Arsenal team is also a reflection of the league as a whole, because you've got this sort of weird transition period between that sort of old-fashioned, um, sort of gritty English, um, sorry, where well, there's not many foreigners in it, and then you've got this influx of uh, foreign talent, which is slowly but surely sort of taking over and I suppose Arsenal represents that probably as as well as any team um, of that of that age. Like seeing how sort of players like Vieira and Overmars and Bergkamp and Elka kind of sort of I suppose gel with you know the Nigel Winterburns and Ray Parlors of this world.
3: I mean, it's interesting as well because Wenger was very much a four four two man, you know, and and you often associate. Um, You know, foreign managers, and and really, he was the first prominent one since Dr. Joseph Fendlos, I think. (laughs) Um, And and the thing was is that is is that you know he actually played in a in a very English way, um, really, because you know Mm. you had you had the two very conventional wide players, uh, one with a bit more flair than the other. Um, You had the the two box to box midfield players. Um, You had the you know, I guess you had Ian Wright who was the pure poacher um, or Enelka that was the, the, the speed merchant and then Bergkamp kind of dropping off a little bit um, and then the back four that liked to play offside. Um, so I, it was very, very English, you know. It, it wasn't particularly continental other than some of the personnel, really.
0: I think the difference with Wenger is that he knew how to use, like each of those players had a purpose and he brought them in knowing what he wanted them to do and I think there were some managers at the time who were trying to do something similar. Look at Spurs, I mean, they bring in Oh, God. Let's not, let's not talk about Spurs this season. <laughs> but but it's, it's it's an interesting contrast for me, and because I'm talking about Spurs, so I don't want to talk about Newcastle. Um, but um, yeah, you know, they're trying to do something similar. They're bringing in sort of more foreign players, and Jerry Francis doesn't really know what he's trying to do with it. I mean, I would, I think that the,
3: I mean, just a brief, it's a brief tangent. So I, mean, I just think Jerry, Jerry Francis obviously had been. I don't know. I think he was very unfairly sacked. So you'd probably say he'd he been very, very solid for us. Um, and then obviously when he goes, Christian Gross comes in. That's our attempt at a foreign manager. And it's an unmitigated disaster. We always went down that season,
1: which is like hilarious. Just Ossie Ardiles out as a foreign manager. Oh, that's I mean, true. You, were, you had two yeah. goals, really. Well, like, I maybe... mean... Yeah. He knew. He sort of knew that. He sort of knew
0: league though, wasn't he? He wasn't yeah. new to, to <laughs> Aussie, English football, was
3: he? Aussie's like the most English Argentinian you'll ever find. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's quite interesting. The contrast, like Arsenal get, you know, Arsene Wenger is their manager for like the next twenty-five years, and we get Christian Gross, who's you know sent back to Switzerland within
1: like six months. We mentioned the defense a few times. Then we keep calling them a back four. It is worth remembering that there were five English kind of classic players uh, that were rotating in and out. The only one who was played in almost every league game was was Winterburn. Uh, Dixon, Keown, Adams, and Bold with the other four. And and yeah, they uh, Adams in particular played, I think, 26, 27 games. Dixon, 26, 27, and then Bold and Keown Probably about half each, I'd say, without having without looking it up. But there was a little bit of rotation and management going around there. Uh, and I know that Adams in particular had some sort of uh, injury layoff across the course of the season. So some management uh, of the, he, the back four going on there.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Baldy was um, Baldy was was pushing on in years by this stage. Definitely, like you 55. know,
0: fifty-five.
2: Yeah, he does he looks younger. He looks younger now, doesn't he?
0: He's one of those he's <laughs> one of those he's, he's one of the last of the uh the, the balding men who wouldn't just bick it. Like these days, as soon as they start doing it, either yeah. you do a hair transplant or you bick it. Steve Bold and Attilio Lombardo, they just let it happen.
2: Yeah, they, they weren't having it. But you know, he he, he was pushing on a bit. Uh Keon's an interesting one because you know, when when we signed him back, um who, did we sign him back from you? or was it Everton?
3: Everton, wasn't
2: it? Pete, was it? Was it Everton? Did he go to you first, then to Everton, then to us again? We'll look uh, it up. Yeah, we'll look it up. It, it, you know, he
1: spent time at. at sorry, yeah, it was, it was Everton. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so
2: it was. Uh, and when when he first came back, it, it took a while for for him to slot in. He he didn't, you know, he didn't look like the the player he he eventually become but you know it was a lot of head scratching over why we brought him back and you know we're, we're talking about a time we had the likes of Linigan as well around that point so you know it it, it, it was interesting but he was going from strength to strength and you know I, I'd say this is probably just just before he, he really started to hit his peak for us. But he got strong, strong centre. Yeah, he, He's, he, he used like a fine wine. He really did. You know, um, And by this time, he was really, really coming into his own. But, you know, Boldy was still there and strong. So, you know, what people think of as the classic Arsenal back four with, with Bold rather than Keogh is there. But, you know, at this point, Keogh would slot in for Adams, slot in for Bold whenever, whenever it was needed. And, you know, Winterburn was pretty much ever-present that season. Dixon, I can't really remember. I mean, Kieran might have played a couple of times at right-back. You know, yeah, Grimondi might is. have slotted in there uh, yeah, as well on Grimondi occasions. Yeah, I a
3: fair bit at right-back, didn't he? Um, like I was going to say about Steve Bold, right? The, the ultimate confidence of Steve bold to me is, is that Alex Ferguson, um when he first signed Yapstan, <laughs> Yap, and, and Yapstan was sort of, um, you know, really, really impressing, uh, Ferguson very excitedly said, I've never forgotten this, um, in, in, in an interview on TV, that Yapstan was Steve Bold on roller skates.
2: <laughs> that was a classic, yeah. Uh,
3: and, and I've never I've never forgotten that, because it's like, that's one of, that's, that's sort of, you know, if, if Alex Ferguson is like complimenting Uh, An Arsenal power in that sort of way you know (laughs) because you know Steve Pulp was a a a terrific defender and and like Steve Bruce who we talked about before like never really got England England recognition Um, but was just just so consistent for such a long time
2: yeah he's another one of those that was yeah he he was there doing the job week in week out but you know back in the days with a English centre-halves at every club, you know, it, it, we we weren't struggling to find any, so he never really got his chance at the top level, but was very, very dependable. So, yeah, I mean, love Baldy, absolutely love Baldy, and it was a strong base. But I think, you know, like I say, we're talking about a couple of years before, you're dealing with the likes of Ian Selly and David Hillier sitting in front of that back four, you know, John Jensen. Now, suddenly, we've got this young kid, Vieira, coming through, and this... Ponytailed French left back who Wenger's like no you're not a left back you're a central defensive midfielder right now and boy was he one and most two, sitting in front of that back four just gave them a total lease of life there's an re- interesting uh, interview on Sky um, with Paul Merson and, and Tony Adams and Adams just raves about how good Petit was he was like I could do whatever I wanted because Petit was there he'd just slot in and, you know, Petey would, would you know, would do the, that defensive job perfectly. So he could just go running up the field, which, you know,
3: ironically would be the defining moment of the season for us. You know, I think it's Petey and Vieira, you know, England, English football loved that box-to-box player, you know. And obviously, United had a great one in Roy Keane and they had that, that Ince and Keane um partnership you know that that great united side we talked about from 94 and you know this this is very very similar you know they were both proper box box to box players and you know you kind of saw that in the you know the world cup final actually you know Petit coming on as a sub and sort of bursting forward to score that third goal um it's it's again one of those one of those those sort of great ironies you know that 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 you had these two French players that, that sort of embodied probably the most English position, you know, when you think about like, about players, types of player that you think of in English football, it's, it's the number eight, uh, and it's, and it's the number nine, you know, it's those, 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 are the two, you know, traditional things, big number nine that heads the ball, midfielder that makes lung bursting runs up and down the field, and and it, and it was quite interesting that you know, <laughs> like you had those uh, th- those French guys in the middle just just being such a smash hit, and it was Wenger's sort of you know party trick, wasn't it? Discovering these unheralded gems from French football and uh, and and suddenly unleashing them on the league to be you know complete complete game changers, and 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 Elka would be a, obviously another one, although obviously not quite as not quite as um, obscure in the sense that everyone knew that Arsenal had kind of ripped off PSG um, by taking him out of their youth system. I think everyone kind of, there was quite a lot of rumours that, that that was a real player that, you know, that, sorry, that Arsenal had, had picked up there. And then of course he sticks the kid in the team and he absolutely dominates everyone. I just wanted to, I don't know, talk about Nelka for a little bit because Certainly, I remember the debate amongst my group of friends, you know, uh, that season, uh, because obviously Michael Owen had burst on the scene, was, you know, who was better, um, Owen or Anelka, and I was firmly on team Anelka, and, and will al- we'll always be on team Anelka when it comes to that, but, you know, you with me. bear in mind, right, obviously Michael Owen's a boring twat now, so you kind of think, you know, you kind of forget how much of an exciting player he was in sort of 1997, but... Um, but yeah, it was it's interesting because you had the you know, these two guys that were both renowned for their turn of pace in behind. But Anelka always had a lot more smoothness and a lot more, for want of a better word, techers than Owen had, which I think is indicative of the fact that by the time Anelka was at Chelsea, you know, in the late two thousands, that Ancelotti title winning team, he was actually sometimes, you know, playing as a ten off Drogba um so he was a very very talented footballer obviously mad but at the same time you know as as just as that 18 year olds breaking into the arsenal team it, there was no more exciting player in the league for me that season
0: he looks he's more physically developed than Owen isn't he he he, he looks like he can handle the rigors of the premier league um uh, you know, he's quick he's strong he he gets into position in, into really dangerous positions and he can finish and what? What more do you need? I, I think that's a you know
2: that's a, a fundamental thing about this Arsenal team. They're all big and strong. You know this is a very very mm. very physical side. You know, and it, it, it's strange to me how Arsene, you know, progressed to loving these tiny little frail midfielders. You know, by by the end of his of his tenure but you know you know the size of petit and vieira in that holding role you know the size of the back four obviously you know Burkham, he would elbow you in the in the face and you know if six one people always yeah, forget that. <laughs> put, put his studs right down your achilles and not think twice about it and that was one of the things that i absolutely loved about Burkamp. you know i think for the first season he was with us he, he didn't quite get it and the moment it clicked, what you have to do in English football, you know, he was like, right, I'll have a bit of this. And, you know, big guy would do, w- would get on with that. And, you know, and Elka, another one, big guy, you know, right, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but, you know, he'd love a scrap. So, you know, it, re- it really was a team, you know, the only one that was really probably a little bit more slight was, uh, was Overmars in that team. And he, you know, he had I mean, a pretty good centre on balance out. as well. Yeah, he was Heads gone before be. anyone could before anyone could get to him. He was gone. Yeah, what I mean, was the he won where so he
1: many penalties. Literally between, us, he? Two, he literally ran between two defenders, uh, just like they weren't there. Almost just squeezed through them, and they couldn't get near him to foul him. What was that game? No, he, yeah. he, probably he, several. <laughs> he I mean, did that a lot that season.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you know we have identified that this this Arsenal side had a lot of strong physical big players and it's i suppose it's no coincidence really that since they stopped signing those players they've not won the league i think you know the the the, um but the same manager was there for another 10 years well the theory has always
3: been hasn't it that basically they played in the champions league obviously and they came up against barter a couple of times and I think that Wenger's admiration for for that Barca team is is what a lot of people have pointed at in terms of when he started remodelling the side. Um, but again, it's, it's interesting because you know Fabregas put himself about a lot. You know, in in when he was kind of uh, at Arsenal the first time around. You know, he was yes, he was a lovely footballer, but he also was quite spiteful and put his foot in. So I think it was—I don't know—it's an interesting timeline where if they don't lose Fabregas and they don't lose Van Persie, then th- th- the maybe um, maybe things don't go quite so quite so far south for them. But you know, it's always it's always um, it's always the way, isn't it? it? The personnel ends up dictating, you know, the way your football club goes.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's right because you know both Van Persie and and Fabregas, like you say, were. were we happy to mix it up in, in that way. And uh, it, it's interesting that they, they were both captain in the team. They both, uh, you know, went because we weren't, we weren't showing the ambition. We weren't buying the players to back them up to, to that level. And, you know, I've never, you know, I know a lot of Arsenal fans, uh, you know, can't like Fabregas even more, can't like Van Persie. You know, I don't blame either of them for leaving, you know. And the fact that they both went on, and trophy trophies one leagues what they couldn't do at arsenal you know kind of indicated
1: that let's uh cycle back to to this team rather than uh dwelling on what's happened since because one of the i suppose it's a linked thing in a way this side didn't have it all their own way i mean although they were brilliant they weren't brilliant the whole season there was this sticky patch that they went on through the winter with the only two sides that they actually beat for i think about a 10-week period or whatever it was, were the previous seasons number one and two. They they beat Man United at Highbury, and they went away and beat Newcastle 1-0. But they lost to to Sheffield Wednesday, Derby County. uh, Who else? Blackburn. I think actually Blackburn beat them quite badly, as I recall. So, I mean, they they had to come back from a little bit of adversity as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you know,
1: uh,
2: United were running away with it by the time... Uh, you know, we we've got past Christmas and stuff like that. We weren't we we were there. We weren't really in contention for a lot of the season uh, at the very top. You know, we, we spent a lot of the the first half of the season up until that point in in fourth or fifth, and there were a few pretenders to, to United's throne at that point. You know, Blackburn were having a good season. All, all in all, you know, Liverpool are always even in a bad season for Liverpool, there's always going to be a point where it looked like oh, they might, you know, uh, and, and obviously Newcastle were, uh, were, you know, on a, on a downward trend,
1: but
0: <laughs> <laughs> they started
1: the season very well, but uh, you, I think you beating them was probably the beginning of the end, uh, I guess. And the the decline into mid table, if it hadn't the, already started, the, the beginning of the end was far
0: earlier than that. I can tell you, um, it was it was the day that Alan Shearer got carried off in a pre-season friendly, um, which was a couple of hours after Les Ferdinand had signed for Spurs. Oof, yeah, yeah, That's, yeah. You uh, don't you know don't want that happening.
2: But yeah, I mean, you know, it it, it wasn't smooth though, so, You know, even you think about that that fantastic Lester hat-trick, you know, what everyone forgets is that game finished 3-3 and we, we chucked away a lead there, you know, right at the death. And, you know, you, you see those goals, but we, we were we were right there and, you know, we dropped two points in that game.
1: A, a comedy uh, seaman error where he was dribbling the ball halfway up the field for one of them. Is that that one? <laughs>
2: I Actually, remember to be honest, I've not seen those goals for forever. <laughs> I've always seen I always see the hat trick. I think I do remember. I think it was it was one of the big, massive centre backs they had at the time, Walsh or Elliot. Yeah, it? I remember
3: Matt Elliott scored,
2: didn't he? <laughs> uh, again, you know they the size of those guys. My word! Yeah, I, I mean that Leicester team was actually a really, a really, really fun Leicester team. You know, it's one we could they possibly listed, talk about. Yeah. yeah, at some point down yeah, the line, they were a lot of fun to watch, and uh,
1: yeah. they were great. But I absolutely despised them, so uh, I have lots no, of no. They, <laughs> they, they weren't a very likable team. Like I, they. I mean, no.
2: I mean, you know, they're big, horrible bruisers at the back, and you know, hissy up front.
3: Claridge um, and Heskey. I mean Claridge and Heskey. Here. And yeah. Robbie Savage. And, and Neil Lennon was a bit of a shit house as well. Was Robbie <laughs> Savage then? Is, is, is this, yeah, a, yeah, is yeah, this
2: yeah. the Leicester
3: City podcast?
2: <laughs> Leicester City podcast, yeah. there we
3: are. But I think all uh, right. we were saying before we came on, uh before we came on, well, I was about to say air, it's not live, is it? But before we before we started committing this to tape, uh we, we were saying that um I mean, one of the interesting things about this Arsenal season is the fact that they they do to United what United had done to other teams in the past. So, you know, after United, Real, then Newcastle in 95-96 with that sort of run of Kansnar-inspired ex- 1-0 wins, it, it's basically that, you know, they get a taste of their own medicine because, you know, Arsenal, starting from that couple of big wins that, that Pete mentioned, they just start to just generate what the americans like to call scoreboard pressure uh because they were just getting results week after week uh you know United, you know without having without roy king being there you know their their first season without kanzner they just start to you know make a few mistakes and it gets really interesting, and I um, there's, that, there's that classic Ferguson interview where he's kind of like, oh, you know, he tries to sort of, um, he tries to sort of shrug it off and say, oh, you know, Wenger won't know how to win a title, he's just come back from Japan.
0: <laughs> it's yeah. a bit,
3: it, it, funny, it feels a bit like Ferguson's headphones on, i love it if we beat them type of moment.
1: Well, two things happened after that Blackburn game uh, where they lost that I think really because you need a little bit of luck to win a title i don't care how good you are and they had it um in two back-to-back matches where against wimbledon where the the floodlights failed at, with the score at nil nil and the game was uh replayed much later when they were in far better form that's straight after this defeat at home to blackburn and then in the next game they get a comedy own goal uh, at home against leicester where it steve walsh manages to play it Oh, it's comically over his own goalkeeper. Uh, hilariously. It's, what a finish. Yeah, all-time top 10 own goal. Uh, and they win the game 2-1. And then I don't think they lose again until they've won the title.
2: No, uh, I mean, that Wimbledon game in particular, we were we were in trouble in that game. That was a struggle before those lights went out. I, I was, I was there, and I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. This is not good. And I, I love a trip to Selhurst. I really do love a trip to Selhurst. It was my my nearest uh, big ground to where I lived at the time, and uh, I go to Selhurst quite a lot, especially at that time. I had friends who were Wimbledon season ticket holders, so. Even when Arsenal weren't playing, I'd pop down to Selhurst because they were literally they'd give you a, they'd give you a ticket for a fiver. You could go in and watch Premier League football for a fiver down there. Uh, but yeah, we were, a, were in trouble that game. You know, we we did not look like we fancied it, and the fact that we even struggled um, when it got replayed and we were on top four, even that one was a struggle. So I, I, I do look at that as a big big moment.
0: You you tended to have trouble against them in general, though, didn't you? Like they were they were one of those teams that seemed to always cause you problems. I remember seeing in the video, Vinnie Jones always seemed to score against Arsenal.
2: Yeah, it's bizarre, and it's it's not even it would be like with the later Wenger teams where you know we we didn't we couldn't cope with the physicality of the you know your Stokes or your Boltons. We were a physical team back then. We just for whatever reason they were our Achilles' heel, and and Vinny did love a goal against us.
3: Wimbledon had a habit, I think, of um, making teams play their game, if that makes sense. You know, so rather than actually try and win with some panache, you know, uh, teams with good players like United and Arsenal and Chelsea and whoever else, you know, they'd end up playing this this sort of, you know, game of, of, uh, of physicality and... It was kind of, you know, playing into Wimbledon's hands to do that. Um, and I think that's why they often got results against the big teams, because rather mm. than just play football around them, the big teams go, all right, then, you know, you think you can intimidate us, you can have an elbow yourself, um, which is
1: ultimately what Wimbledon wanted you to do. So as we move towards the running of this Arsenal season, we move more towards Anelka than Ian Wright, which up front, which is kind of the end of an era in, in many ways. Wright had been there since... 1991 92 I, I'm not sure exactly when the transfer went through but uh, and he became your top scorer at the time, uh, this season uh, with that famous game against Bolton where he took the the Arsenal shirt off to reveal the 179 yeah. underneath uh, my question just, my, my goal <laughs> early my question yeah. my question is did, do you think he had that 179 vest on in the previous three games where he didn't score
2: yeah absolutely of course he did it's true. right he, you know it's and I remember that game being such a huge relief because it's like, oh, it, you know,
1: you know, it's going to happen, but it's not happening. And then, you so, know, two sitters for, missed against Tottenham as well in the previous yeah, game.
2: Finally, fi- finally, finally scores again, but he's only equaled the, the the record. But, you know, you know, right, his excitement, he's revealing the shirt. No, right. He, you're not there yet, mate. he for uh, Donald Trump.
3: There was, there was a, yeah. a a funny interview afterwards, isn't there, where he's like, he says, oh, wait, it was a go early, so I've mugged myself off. Yeah. I think it's one of the first times I've seen, <laughs> one of the first times I've heard that phrase, like, actually in an interview. Like, it's quite common parlance nowadays, but, you know, 98, 97, it must be one of the first times that was said on TV, I think.
2: Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. And we, we did have lots of subplots like that that season, and, and you know, like I say, it was that big moment for, for right huge you know he literally joined us just after we we'd won the title in in you know we'd won it in 91 we'd won it in 89 and he's coming from palace now to, to try and win stuff with us and you know it just weren't happening you know we, we weren't challenging and you know he'd got his he'd got his golden boots and he'd won his cups but you know that that title looked like it it was going to evade him and you know he
0: you forget how prolific he was over that, that period. I mean, I, I suppose when you sort of think of the prolific strikers, you think of all the, the players who were representing England at the time, and I suppose Shearer's at the top of that list. But, you know, Wright scores that that many goals. In, he scored 128 league goals in six or seven seasons at, um, at Arsenal. Um, you've got players like Sutton and Fowler and Sheringham and all these other players banging in goals left, right and centre. Um, you forget how many goals some of these players scored. I
3: mean, right. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, Ian Wright was one of those. He was a classic poacher, wasn't he? Like he, I mean, he scored all types of goals actually. But but he was at his best, you know, sort of eight to twelve yards out, wasn't he? And and following in. Ah, uh, he was. He was. I, I hated him. I absolutely <laughs> hated him. Like you know, it's funny because uh, because I think. You know, growing up in the late 80s and early 90s as a Spurs fan, it was the worst time to grow up because although we had Paul Gascoigne and and won an FA Cup, like, aside from that, it was just, you know, you, you got an Arsenal title in 89, an Arsenal title in 91, some FA Cups and League Cups for Arsenal in the middle of all that. Um, and, and this, like, annoying, prolific, braggadocious center forwards for your you know for your main rivals um and that was the thing about Ian Wright was that it was his personality was so was so so huge as well and he didn't just score goals like he made sure he rubbed it in your face um and that was such a big a big part of of the way that he played and um he was just a a relentless character and relentless hunger for goals. And he, he did, he scored bags and bags and bags of goals and never quite happened for him for England. Like he, he got quite a few England caps, didn't score that many goals, it was a bit of a crap England side he played in as a rule. Um, but, you know, he, he also had that that sort of famous moment with the, the bloodstained bandage. Um, when England qualified for France 98 so he had, a, he had that great moment for England if nothing else but I mean you know it's funny because watching that stuff back now like, like Maz says it's, it's, it's really um, it's really great that he did get to win a title I can say begrudgingly because he did deserve to have won a title he deserved to have broken that, that goal scoring record because he was a, a, a brilliant footballer um, for a really really long period of time um, so it's, it's, you know, it's like Brian Robson, isn't it? You know, he, he's at United, he's United's best player for years and years and years. And then as an old man, he wins two titles, you know, good luck, good luck to him.
0: I think the other thing about Ian Wright is that he was unapologetically himself, um, which I think at the time perhaps kind of passed you by. But you, you when you sort of hear some of the stories of um, of, of, of racism around that time for, for, for a player it that high profile just to just carry on and be himself must have been like quite empowering for a lot of um, people who looked up to him.
3: Should you mention the, uh, the Schmeichel rivalry? It's like one of my, one of my favorite <laughs> here, right things. Isn't yeah. it? It's just the, the absolutely poisonous blood feud between him and Peter Schmeichel. It's just shithouse
0: on Wright's part, isn't it? It's but, just, yeah, it, just it, going to wind him up. But that's He's the thing. that's brilliant though, is the, at it
3: is that is that you know i mean one person who didn't want to wind up as well was peak Schmeichel, like christ <laughs> like he is a hard hard man um but yeah it was it was there was some nasty stuff that went on if i remember rightly yeah like,
2: um, it got it got really naughty you know i do believe right he did throw some allegations of racism in there which i don't think were ever actually <laughs> proved and, you know, the fact that they're mates now kind of makes me think that, yeah, I think you might have been exaggerating that one a bit, righty. But, yeah, it was, there was some serious needle between those two and it, it could have got worse because, you know, like you Michael's Schmeichel's a big old, <laughs> you know, big worth proper worth old school keeper and righty just relentless little firecracker, you know, in, in a big rivalry, football rivalry. Yeah, it, it, it could have got nastier.
3: There was All a, a there theater, was a time yeah. when Wright got banned, didn't he? Basically, uh, going in with two oh, feet tackle, on Schmeichel, uh, Michael rushing out of goal, and <laughs> right, he just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: just, just d- double foot dived in on him.
3: <laughs> it was a claymore, basically, wasn't it? <laughs> 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 yeah, no, it was. That was. Uh, I mean, that's the thing, though, is you got those rivalries, didn't you, back then? And, and you know, we talked about Keown earlier, and obviously. The, the famous image of him jumping over Van der <laughs> like there was the, it was that era where those those feuds kind of went on game after game and but you know that
2: that made football Keenan Vieira going at it constantly you know and pizza game. Yeah, yeah, pizza yeah pizza <laughs> game you know I, I miss that you know I love that in football you know it's I don't know again it's part of the charm you know you need your rights you need your, righties, you need your you know, bring him up again, your Robbie Savage is on the pitch. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, all, all the opposing fans will absolutely hate him, but you want one in your team. You it's, do. It's why, I, um... I
1: don't want a Robbie Savage in my team, for the record. <laughs>
3: oh, well. Yeah. I, I, I mean,
1: I, I don't mind the shithouse, but not a Robbie Savage. No, no, no,
3: but, no, nobody needs a Robbie Savage unless they are a, a mid-table club firmly going nowhere. Yeah,
2: he, he, but, he, you he literally
1: can only hit a dead ball. That's his only skill other than winding up an opposition.
2: But, you know, that's a skill. And you know, <laughs> funnily enough, the biggest shithouse that we'd have coming out of this uh, is, is Gil Grimondi, who actually went on to become a bit of a cult, cult legend at Arsenal just for being an absolute undercover shithouse. You know, he was never very good. <laughs> and no one ever really liked him, you know, as a, as a centre-half. He, he weren't great. But, you know, later on in his career when he was like a... A, a fill in central midfielder every now and again. He was fantastic in there. He, he would just wind up players left, right, and centre.
3: It's funny because one of the things I like about Wenger is that now and again he just signs someone that's that's French but shit. Yeah. Like, so like Pascal Sigour and stuff like that. And it's like, like oh, well, you know, it's like you've got a pretty good hit rate, Arsene, but now and again you get one that is an absolute, you know,.
1: Remy Guy. I, 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 I mean, we always used to make fun of Pascal Segon, but the problem is the standard of defending has fallen so much over the years. He'd be a standout player now. Yeah, he That's the t- power. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because he, he was perfectly serviceable. He just wasn't as good as good enough for Arsenal at the time. It
0: yeah. wasn't yeah. he as but, bad as that. As the, I remember Man United took on a French trialist. Um, I think it was against Spurs. Um, I think Spurs smashed them 4-1 in the... Uh, 95, 96 season. I think his name was William Prunier. Um, and he played one oh, game. yeah, Prunier, yeah, I remember him. Again. Yeah, well, uh, I, I know about Arsenal defenders
2: uh, uh, at Old Trafford. I, I remember Igor Stepanov. So that, that was something.
1: Oof. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Well, speaking about Old Trafford, as you've, uh, as you've gone there, it's a much more profitable trip to Old Trafford this season. And um, speaking of uh, important contributions... Alex Meninga. I mean, oh, Alex in- Meninga, you know, it's
2: it, what, what a bizarre one that was, you know. Yep. Seaman gets injured, Meninga comes in, wins the Premier League Player of the Month, has an absolute blinder, you know. And, you know, one of my favourite memories of, of, of Meninga's run in the team is, you know, there, there, there is chatter on, on the terraces that, you know, they should Seaman come back in when he's fit? You know, should he come back in? Yeah, I know he's Seaman and everything, but, you know, Meninga's been that good for us. And, uh, you know, I I remember Seaman eventually coming back in and, and, you know, he comes down, you know, as we do, uh, it comes down the clock end and we're seeing England's number one, England, England's number one. And he's running to us and clapping, puts, puts these, you know, Keepers his bag down in, in the goal as he does and then we all start singing Arsenal's number two Arsenal's Arsenal's number two and uh yeah he were not quite sure whether to take that one as a joke or not at the time
1: I so, remember when we uh, when Spurs came to uh Villa Park when Paul Robinson had just been uh dropped and there was a big clamor for us to get Scott Carson into the team which obviously ended terribly with that Croatia game but um <laughs> the Villa fans were winding Paul Robinson up by singing England's number one whenever Scott Carson touched the ball and England's number two, whenever Robbo had touched the ball. And it's kind of interesting thinking about it, that both of their careers ended against Croatia, but, um, Robinson had a great sense of humour about it, because as we, we chanted about it, uh, he just looked up with the biggest grin on his face, just held up three fingers. That's how far down the pecking order I am now. So <laughs> no, fair play to Paul Robinson for taking that in good spirit. You know, Paul, Paul Robinson is, I mean, I think we talked about
3: this. He basically just, um, you know, he he had the exact same career as Joe Hart, basically. I mean, being an England keeper is a thankless task, which I think why Seaman. Stands out so much is that is is that you know he uh, until the Ronaldinho thing anyway basically had a an England career pretty much unscathed you know and obviously helps that he had those sort of high profile penalty shootout moments that that, that made people remember him as a great England keeper as well but you know it's it, it's very hard to be an England goalkeeper because. You know the spotlight is 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 very very bright on that position for some reason, and Seaman has to avoid most of the psychological carnage that goes alongside that.
1: Um, uh, and is like, history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because you know, Banks had it for six seven years. Shilton had it for <laughs> twenty years, on and off with Clements for a little bit yeah. of that, but twenty years, and and then Seaman had it for for ten years, really. So. Everyone else uh, now. It's, it's real, compared to those guys.
0: There's some real competition around this time as well. Like this. I guess that's probably the difference,
2: you know, the competition. You know, if if you do mess up, you know, you're not clamoring for who, who's, who the hell can take over that jersey, you know, because you know you had Nigel Martin and and Timmy um, around for for a long time, who, who, who were both very 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 dependable, solid goalkeepers, you know, who could
3: absolutely easily fill in. I was going to say about Meninga. Like one thing that's really interesting is that um, certainly when he was signed, the thought was very much that you know it would be a short apprenticeship, and then he'd take the job from Seaman, like because he was very very highly rated when he, when he came in, and, and obviously Seaman played on for a lot longer than anyone thought he would, um, and and by the time Seaman does retire, and um, you know obviously uh, you know Wenger goes and goes and gets Jens Lehmann from. Is it Dortmund? He got him from, and yeah, and so it's it's it's, it's interesting that, that sort of Meninga doesn't get to, I don't know, ascend the throne if you like.
2: No, yeah, he never he never quite got that chance, and like I say, it's very good, but you know, it, a, lot, a lot of it is confidence with a goalkeeper, isn't it, and momentum. You know, it, it's you can't sit there forever. You've got to go and you know make your career and. You know, kind of, we're seeing that now and I'll probably regret leading, (laughs) making this example uh, with Pete, but, you know, we're seeing it with Martinez this season where, you know, he waited and waited and waited. He finally got his chance and, you know, had an absolute blinder, but, you know, it didn't get him the Arsenal number one jersey, but it it got him a move to, you know, a team that's doing a lot better than us at the moment. Yeah, and... (laughs) And our goalkeeper's spilling everything that comes near him.
1: I, I won't take the obvious offered thing there. I'll just spread that it wasn't actually just limited to to um, to Meninga in the goalkeeping position. I mean, there were a lot of Arsenal players who were in the side and looked good for a year or so who didn't ever make the shirt their own. They either had to move on or, or didn't quite make it for whatever reason. Uh, Chris Ray, Luis Morte uh, who else? Stephen Hughes, Matt Upson, you know, there's a lot of guys in and around the side who just didn't go with Arsenal as they pushed on to the next level.
2: No, and no, I think it was often the case with Venger over the years that, you know, he had some good young talent, but if he didn't fancy you, you know, he was he was going to bring someone in, so you could come in and I think probably Matt Upson is the ultimate player under, under that, that was just, you know, the next Tony Adams as a youngster at Arsenal and everyone fought it. And, you know, never really got a chance despite never really putting a foot wrong for us. And, you know, eventually left and had a, you know, strongish career out- outside of Arsenal to the point where you thought, you know, maybe he could have been there, but, you know, we added, we had a very strong conveyor belt of centre halves coming in, um, yeah even after that that famous back four started to drift away slowly you know obviously uh uh Sol campbell the big one but uh colatore who was fantastic for us and you know even then who didn't quite work out you know so in amongst all your scalachis and uh
1: I was just going to say, jump in. Did did you ever regret it when you saw because Upson was obviously in the England reckoning by about 2011 when that Arsenal defence was was very different. Did you ever kind of look on a bit kind of enviously? What have we let go like the way that as a Villa mm, fan I, no. did, I, I did I did with Gary Cahill, for example. I don't I don't think uh, no
2: no I, I, I'm never like we should never have sold him. I did sometimes think you know he would have been a good squad player for us over that whole period. You know uh, I think if he would have been happy to uh, play second fiddle. But, you know, even by that, you know, that time, I'm guessing we're talking, yeah, maybe by 2011, possibly, I, I would have grabbed him back. But, you know, up until, I'd say, the Vermaulen-Torre partnership, I was still, you know, I was still very happy with our centre-backs. yeah, uh, you know, starting centre-backs, should I say.
0: Yeah.
2: Hmm. <laughs>
3: I mean, because even when Kachelleni comes in, isn't Kachelleni terrible? Oh, I know. Is. Uh, I've never,
2: you know, I've never been a fan of Kachelleni. Uh, I I look at Kachelleni as the ultimate player of how far Arsenal have fallen. You know, people thinking Kachelleni you know, a great Arsenal centre half is just insane to me. And people who believe that didn't watch Arsenal before 2010, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> You know, because he, he, you know, he was good. Don't get me wrong; he 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 was a solid defender, became a solid defender for us. But you know, he was never great. I think he,
3: I think his reputation was enhanced by the fact that when he was injured, he was so bad, and then when he played, you were a lot better. And so, well, yeah, you know, he was the best of a bad bunch. (laughs) His reputation was very much enhanced by the fact that when he wasn't playing, like it was. Harnish back there yeah absolutely
2: uh you know I, I, and i do get that i do get that but yeah you know Koscielny Koscielny i would you know compare him and Matty Upson probably they're, they're probably around about that same level for me so if if we had Matt Upson at that time then yeah I, i'd say you know he's on that level with Koscielny
3: is it worth talking about Ray Parlour in this context right i was because just literally he's... going to say exactly the same thing <laughs> because you know, you know, Parlour and Keown, I think, are the two examples of players that Wenger improved and and like noticeably improved. Because you know, obviously, one of the first things Wenger does is he gets rid of Paul Merson, you know, prominent English player, talented player, um, but obviously, you know, maybe his dietary habits weren't quite up <laughs> to, to Arsenal Wenger standards. <laughs> um, and then uh, you know, we talked about talented players. From an English background, um, you know the, the likes of Matty Upson, um, who who you know don't don't quite get um, a shake with him. But Ray Parlour, who you might have backed to be one of those people, he shipped out, became his kind of most reliable, most trustworthy uh, warhorse. To the point where you know he ends up ends up having this absolutely iconic FA Cup moment a few years later. Is really good for a few years you know and even when Lundberg comes in like Parler still plays a lot you know what did you notice about Maz this is that what Veng did to improve Parler from that young kid coming through to kind of what he became
2: it's hard to say with Parler he you know as a kid coming through he was he was probably a little bit more more of a you know more of a fair flair player. I think I think he probably fancied himself more as you know the next Merson as he was coming through, and he became you know this workhorse of a winger, which is you know it, it, it's a bit of a strange position really. It, it, it's not one that's that common. You do see them uh, so over it the Park years.
3: It United,
2: yeah, and it's he he would run there he'd back up on the. He, Double up on the defence, he could, you know, step inside if, you know, your, heart, your central midfielders are going upfield. He he just, you know, very strong, very, very strong player, you know, lungs for days, Yeah, you know, really, really hard working. And, you know, you think about how much he must be out on the piss all the time, and I'm not quite sure how he did it.
1: Well, that's, that's one thing that Wenger really did change, not just with Ray Parler. And that's really why he wasn't another Hillier and McGoldrick, because at one point he didn't necessarily look that different from some of them. And obviously he's the one that went on even more than Merson into the, the new era. But Parler and the defense, we touched on earlier, prolonging their careers. So that I think we spoke on how things went wrong for Wenger after 2005, 2006. But maybe just to, to finish off because this is the Wenger team, just uh, maybe a, a few thoughts on just the impact that this Wenger side had on, on everybody else and how everyone had to adapt to catch up to this side and how he prepared them.
0: I think, I mean, it's, it's well documented that Wenger introduces all sorts of changes to, um, I suppose, he, he starts looking at things like the, the nutritional side of things and how... Um, players can be fitter and better prepared and can recover quicker and um and things like that um obviously i mean merson's a big casualty because i don't think he trusts him i guess is the is the main thing but he basically he takes alcohol out of you know the, the players don't have access to alcohol before or after the games that kind of thing um that's i interesting, guess
3: maybe there's missing things like the the banning of tomato ketchup
0: was always my
3: favorite <laughs> Because uh, it's got loads of sugar in hasn't it? Um, but um, it, I saw some interesting stuff because obviously there are you know players like David Platt who have played in Italy. And obviously, the, I guess the point is, is that, you know, Wenger was at the forefront of this sort of um, move towards a more professional, professional football within England. But of course, in Italy and so on, it had been this way for, for years and years and years. And so players that have played in Italy like Platt um, obviously kind of recognised and embraced this, like, you know, people like Bergkamp, who obviously were, you know, Professionals from, you know, from the word go. Uh, so it's really the English players that I guess are, are, are most are most affected by this. Um, but you know, I saw an interview with Graham Souness recently where he was talking about um, his ill-fated time at uh, yeah I mean know yeah, people aren't people aren't hard enough people don't kick people <laughs> uh, but after he got through that bit he was talking about when he was um manager Liverpool and he said that one of the things that he did that alienated the Liverpool players early on and bear in mind that a lot of these guys like Steve McMahon and um and Steve Nickel like he'd played with um you know Ian Rush uh, they had a tradition where after they'd won, they'd go and get fish and chips and drink beer on the bus. And bear in mind, like, yeah, this is this is like a Liverpool team that, that you know, were serial championship winners. And, you know, throughout the 70s, they're winning all those trophies. They were basically getting fish and chips and a beer on the way home. Um, <laughs> so it stopped them doing that. Um, And it was one of the things that sort of planted the seed of the the team not really playing for him, which I found fascinating because you said it in the context of, you know, of of Wenger and the the coaches that came after Wenger, making sure that players were well prepared nutritionally. And, um, yeah, it's a massive change in English football. Absolutely enormous.
2: I mean, it's interesting, you know, he obviously had to get Ian Wright and Tony Adams on side on this. Otherwise it ain't going to work. You know, right. You would probably just do what he did to, you know, if, if he weren't having it. So they, they've obviously taken it and it, it's hard to imagine them taking to it at that time. You know, now you, you can, because, you know, you can totally see, and it, it was successful, but before it's successful, it, it I, I, I do wonder how much of a struggle it was to get, you know, the, those guys to, to really buy into this, you know, uh, and but it's clear that they did, and it reaped benefits very quickly.
0: I think the other thing is that foreign players want to come and play for him in England, so the best players want to come and play for him. That's how he gets Overmars and Vieira and and later you know, players like that later on. Um, He's obsessed with detail. Like they, when he joins I think Arsenal, Arsenal training uh, ground is, is shared with students, which he's not having. So he persuades the board to build them a new training ground um, at great cost. And things like the pitch is the same size as the one at Highbury to make sure that they that they're practicing in the same space. It's little things like that, and I suppose it's it's all those little one percent that over the course of a a season, you know, can make all the difference. And in this season, they really do.
3: And United, you know, they hadn't ever had a
0: consistent number
3: two or 1A that would challenge them season after season, you know, because in the time when United have been hoovering up Premier League title, after Premier League title, you know, um, Blackburn had been the coming force in the early 90s they'd won their title then regressed immediately Um, Newcastle had risen up and formed at the final hurdle and then regressed and and the United just they hadn't really needed at any point to just continually beat back the same team or the same manager and Ferguson could just basically have his own way And what Wenger did is that he came in and Ferguson couldn't have his own way anymore. And for that, you know, that sort of five or six year period between, um, you know, 97 and 2003, um, the Wenger Ferguson rivalry was the most compelling thing in football because they just, those teams were going to be number one and number two every season. Um, and basically were bar that sort of weird last season of Ranieri, Chelsea sneaking into number two when the Invincibles won the title. So it's it's a very, very um, different Premier League with Wenger there because suddenly Ferguson's got um, a, a nemesis, I guess, um, a, until, you know, Mourinho shows up and upsets the apple cart as we discussed a few weeks ago so it's I think that's the one of the main legacies of Wenger for me was just actually United having to try a bit harder if anything else
1: yeah we spoke uh, in the Milan episode about how through the late 80s and 90s that Italian football was very much the glamour league and this season is when England really starts to claw a lot of that back. I mean, we've been doing it since the Premier League started, of course, slowly and but surely, but the Wenger addition and this rivalry between Arsenal and Man United is what takes us, our league, to, to a whole other level, I think. I suppose, uh, Maz, you're the one I've got to come to this with, really. Is there a candidate for a Darren Ferguson in this side? <laughs> Might be Matty upset, mightn't it? Uh,
2: Jason Crowe, possibly? Uh, that, that's a good old famous one. Did, is this this season? He, he played one game, came on in a Coca Cola Cup tie, got sent off after thirty seconds, and never really played for us again.
0: <laughs> that's as think... good a candidate as any. What, what a well, career! He, he, he didn't win a medal, did he?
2: No. Oh, yeah. You're looking for one who won a medal. Oh, this season we, we we had a few. Yeah. Tell you, you know, what,
0: Upson played five games. That was probably enough. There we go. look, look.
1: How many games do you have to play to get a Premier League winner?
0: I think it's five. Is, is it that few? The, the, the other one... Ten. It used to be ten, didn't it? It might it might, it might, have been ten at that point. I mean, if, if you're looking for ten, then I think your best bet's going to be either Remy Guard or Boa Morte. Yeah, oh, I man. think it's probably Remy
2: Gard, isn't it? Remy Gard was the one who, uh, who who Wenger signed at the same time as Vieira, essentially, just before he came in. and. You know, you looked at them and you think, well, Remy God's played a bit. He's going to be the one that, that does a bit more for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it didn't really work out that way. But, you know, it's, I think he was more of a sign-in for, you know, to bring a bit of, he was probably more of a.
3: He was a versatile player, Remy God. Yeah. You know, bringing well, in some someone multi,
2: that but... he knew that he could be a bit of a, you know, bit of a guy for him, you know. Uh, so I, I, I guess that's it. i Although I mean, you know, the... uh, Alberto Mendes Rodriguez, uh, uh, that was a player. <laughs> no one can I mean, work out who he was.
1: Any of the names you've mentioned are, are pretty good because there's a slightly different tinge to it. Because obviously the, the Darren Ferguson thing was he could have got one and brian robson didn't but obviously robson did get his the year later whereas you sold paul merson before he got his league winners medal. well robson got two robson got uh the
3: 92 93 and 93
1: no 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 he, he missed the 92 93 even though he was four united he didn't get a winner's medal which is, is why left. 93 no which is why because he didn't play enough because of injuries uh... and various things so that's why 93 94 was so essential and why darren ferguson already had one and <laughs> so that's that's why it was weird <laughs> um, darren ferguson's got two I guess he must have. Good um, grief! But but anyway, Paul Merson obviously left Arsenal before he could win his. So so Merson ended up without one. And uh, yeah, he and I
2: mean he had, he, Merson, Merson, Merson won a league that? title oh, in 89 won, 91. Yeah. eighty nine and ninety okay. one. he's got two. He's got two. So God. Merson was. This, this is big where you those of- teams. Yeah, you
1: all the guys have got the advantage on me there. I I thought he was too young for that. So no, he, he
2: was he was he was part of the '89 team. He was Fair he enough. was coming
1: through in '89. You know, he well, was yeah, cr- he was probably the number twelve done. in '89. Justice is done then. That's fine. You, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. yeah. You know,
2: Paul Merson was my favourite player growing up. Yeah, you know, I he, was, he was fantastic. Love Mertz.
1: Just, so there's no one really from the mid-90s team that you think is a great tragedy that they missed one then really is there Glen Glenn no, Helder I mean, doesn't strike the same chord
2: no poor old Glenn Helder although you know Glenn Helder assisted Dennis Burkham's first goal for Arsenal something I realized the other day there you go uh, I was so,
3: thought I was thought Hillier was a decent player you know I'll just throw that out there he he, he was
2: okay he I was okay
0: mili- I had millions of swaps
1: of his stickers <laughs> one, every,
2: one every week. Uh, yeah.
1: Andy, Andy Linigan deserves some love for scoring the winner in the cup final.
3: Yeah, but he
2: scored a winner in the cup final and yeah. got the, that cup <laughs> finals medal. So you know he, yeah, so he, can't, he. can't. I mean, Steve Morrow did it as well. So. <laughs> uh,
1: and then got his arm broken, which. And then got really his arm. Feels like time. as. Feels like as good a moment to wrap this up as uh, as any other. Unless there are any final thoughts.
3: I mean, I think the only thing I'd say is just that when, you know, this regular conversation comes up, uh, you know, obviously with Liverpool and City recently about, you know, great teams, uh, great title winning teams. It's always the invincibles that get nominated um, for Arsenal. But I think I'd always say this team, along with 94 United, are the teams that don't get talked about enough in that conversation of best Premier League winners.
1: Yeah, agreed.
3: Yeah,
2: this is by far my favourite club team ever. I absolutely adore them.
3: More than Milan, 88, Miles, come on. More than Milan, 88. <laughs> this, this is my team.
2: So, um, you know, as much as, much as I, I, I love Milan, now this, this is my absolute favourite team. You know, this is the height of my fandom. I you know, season ticket at home. I went to so many of those away games that year. I was at Wembley when we completed the double, you know, I was at Old Trafford for that one. You know, I, I was at <laughs> I was at Anfield and uh, Villa Park for the two games after we'd wrapped up the title, which we lost both of those and just were in party mode the whole way through because we were champions. It's uh, when
1: Dwight York scored was... the Panenka. Pane- the yeah.
2: The, yeah. He well, the men- did nothing. score one. Yeah. But, you know, you won the game, didn't you? so yeah. you beat the champions
1: <laughs> yeah does that make us champions doesn't work like yeah that. conquers
2: conquers <laughs> rules <laughs>
1: yeah right i think we'll uh, wrap this one up there that's the end of a uh, 10 part season thanks to everyone for listening we've got this little end of season treat for you next week where we're going to be picking our dream teams based on the size that we've spoken about so we hope you'll join us for that then Till next time bye for now
0: You've been listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Maz, Neil and Pete. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at 4ATBpod. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts by rating and subscribing so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. See you next week.